0: and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we cast our all-seeing eye over the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. Who's we? Well, I'm your host, Andrew, and usually I'm joined by my co-host, Mick. Uh, Unfortunately, this week, though, Mick is lost in a constantly shifting tree maze after a mysterious voice lured him there with the promise of a bootleg, unrated version of Deadpool, if Mick could free him from his ancient cave prison. Sunstead so Graham's back.
1: <laughs> Hello there. That was good. That was a good one. Thanks. I find it a bit problematic that there were multiple like examples of you apologising for me being here that I can pick from. But that was one of the top tiers.
0: No, I'm not going to lie. That's probably the part of this episode that I spent the most work on. <laughs> but yes graham's back and this week he's going to be helping us to behold shang chi and the legend of the ten rings in this economy
1: two in one <laughs> yes this is my first uh mcu episode which is quite exciting oh,
0: yes it is and Actually, you say that, I'm pretty sure we haven't actually done that many MCU films on the podcast either.
1: Well, no, that's true. There's been, what, Iron Man, Black Widow... Is that
0: it? Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Goodness, yeah, that might be the extent of our MCU for the moment. We shall have to double-check that wow. when we get to our ranking list.
1: Yes, definitely. Definitely. I have been here for a film adapted from Marvel Comics, but we don't talk about that, right?
0: No, well, I mean, unfortunately, given where <laughs> it is, we are going to have to mention it at some point.
1: Yes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> like the,
0: I was going to say, like, the albatross <laughs> hanging around our necks, but I guess, like, the duck hanging around our necks. <laughs> But yes, today we will yes. be talking about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is the 2021 film, directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, written by him with Dave Callaham and Andrew Lanham, and based on the Marvel character created by Steve Engelhart and Jim Starlin.
1: Good to see that he uh, took time off being dictator of the Soviet Union uh, to create some comic book characters. Oh, Starling, right? Yes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's one where an R makes all the difference.
1: It really does. Although yeah. I'm
0: pretty sure some Marvel writers would say not that big a difference. <laughs> but yeah, Shang Chi. Um, I think he's a character. I not, like, super familiar with, mainly because he hasn't actually had that many series of his own.
1: Yeah, uh that's good, because I-, I was about to say I had absolutely no knowledge of Shang-Chi before this film was announced.
0: Yes, it was basically, it was created back in the 1970s, 1973, to be precise, which I always like to be, basically as one of the recurring theme, especially with Marvel, of kind of their characters being based very much on just popular tropes at the time. Mm. So, you know, you've got like um, Luke Cage, who was very heavily inspired by proxploitation films. You've got a bunch of characters like Ghost Rider and Morbius, who were kind of uh, influenced by the booming horror films. And Shang-Chi is, of course, heavily inspired by light romantic comedies.
1: yes shang chi was inspired by the success of the 1970 film love story starring ali mcgraw and ryan o'neill
0: but no obviously he's very heavily inspired by martial arts films even more notably bruce lee
1: i was going to say yeah because um when we talk about martial arts films, there's several different strains we could talk about. And my feeling is is that if a Shang-Chi movie was made in the 1970s when the character came out, it would be that kind of enter the dragon, pure action kind of martial arts. But after Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Westerners started to associate martial arts movies more with uh, Wuxia, I believe it's pronounced.
0: Yes, which I think is more kind of sort of general action blockbusters in China, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, in the West. It's it's known as the floaty ones.
0: Yeah. But yeah, basically, there are two types of Chinese films, the floaty ones and the look at how good I can do kicks.
1: Yes, exactly. And it. it, it... I mean, I can actually remember when Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon first came out, and there were loads of people who were just absolutely apoplectic that people just started flying in the middle of the goddamn film and it wasn't set up or anything. And, oh, yeah, in China, there'd have been a bit of a, like, row on if they hadn't started flying in this kind of movie.
0: Yeah. I'm glad that Twitter wasn't invented before it was.
1: I, I, yeah, I, almost as uh, I'm almost as glad for that as I am regretful that Twitter was invented at all.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I didn't want to push my luck too much. But if, <laughs> a, a Twitterless world—that's too much to dream for.
1: But at least we can look it, back what, at all
0: those blessed decades where it didn't exist.
1: It's one of those things like the atom bomb, isn't it? Where as soon as the theoretical groundwork for Twitter was done, someone's going to invent it.
0: God, I hate Twitter.
1: I really hate Twitter, but yes, it's not about that.
0: Yeah. Actually, I suppose, speaking of the kind of discussions that go on on Twitter, that Mm. does bring us to Shang-Chi's original comic book father, horrible stereotype Fu Manchu.
1: Oh, blimey. Right, okay.
0: Yes, because... Basically, at the time as well, Marvel had the comic book rights because, it, you know, obviously he was a literary character kind of in the public domain. Much yeah. like how, you know, sometimes the X-Men will just hang out with Dracula.
1: <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Yeah, they just made Shang-Chi the, uh, the son of Fu Manchu.
1: Right. That's interesting because Fu Manchu is one of those characters who casts, uh, like... There's loads of old racist Victorian action fiction, but Ch- uh, Fu Manchu is the one who casts the biggest shadow over things that I love because he crops up, I think, he crops up without a name, doesn't he, in the first volume of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen?
0: Yes, yeah, I gotta comment, they're definitely giving him some kind of pseudonym, don't they? <laughs>
1: yeah they they call him like the devilish doctor or one of his old nicknames which i assume is because he exists in marvel continuity
0: yeah actually, um, I'm, I'm not sure because i know cause obviously, because marvel they did lose the rights to Fu manchu at the moment well they, so they, they lost them eventually and that's hmm. why yeah because you know you might think that the reason Fu manchu isn't currently shang chi's dad is because they realized what a horrible, outdated stereotype it is, <laughs> no, no, it's just that they lost the rights,
1: like I'm pretty sure, is a... like I'm pretty
0: sure canonically at the moment in the comics, his dad is called like Zhang Zhu, as just yeah, a, let's change a couple of letters. there we go, Bob's your uncle,
1: yes. <laughs> Fu Manchu is, of course, the inspiration for the Doctor Who serial The Talons of Weng-Chiang*, which has gone from being one of those serials that classic Doctor Who fans show to newbies because it's really great to one of those serials that Doctor Who fans keep tucked down the back of the sofa because while it is really great in a lot of ways, it is also really racist.
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of those. This is really good asterisk.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's an interesting shift because this is yet another MCU fathers and sons story, isn't it?
0: It is. Yeah. It's it's another. What if your dad was a bit, ooh, and you were quite <laughs> sad about it? Yes. So I think, think that probably tease us up for doing the synopsis.
1: A bit of a synopsis, yes, I would agree. Uh,
0: and, as always, uh, there will be full spoilers for the film. Hmm. And now, Graham, this is the bit where you need to gotta kind of be incredibly dismissive and rude towards the audience.
1: Oh? Any reason, or just for Oh, Because,
0: as as is the whole tradition, if it's spoiled, it's your own damn fault.
1: Ah, <laughs> vice. yeah, yeah, it's... Yeah, fair enough.
0: So... Thousands of years ago, uh, Zhu Wenwu, played by Tony Lung, discovers the magical Ten Rings, granting him incredible powers such as immortality and doing punches good. <laughs> Wenwu founds an organisation named after the rings and goes on to amass as much power as he possibly can. Centuries later, in 1996, Wu is trying to find the lost city of Ta Lo but ends up falling in love with its guardian Ying Li, played by Fala Chen, and abandons his warmongering ways to raise a family with her. Unfortunately, Ying Li is killed by one of Wen Ru's rivals, causing Wen Ru to return to his villainous ways. He trains his son, Shang-Chi, played by Simu Liu, to become his top assassin and sends him to America to kill his father's murderer. Uh, Shang completes his mission, but refuses to return home. Instead, starting a new life in San Francisco. In the present day, Shang, now going by Sean, works as a valet with his friend Katie, played by Aquafina. Uh, but he is forced to return to his old life, though when he is attacked by the Ten Rings, who steal his pendant, Shang and Chatie uh, got this too many too many different names.
1: There's too many different names and most of them have a ch sound in it which is a recipe for disaster in a synopsis
0: exactly well why do this to me shang chi the legend of the ten rings
1: <laughs> so shang chi and shang see? right
0: that's right they reunite with shang's sister xia ling who speaking of names is played by an actress who i believe it's pronounced uh Menge zhang and I apologise if that's not the right pronunciation. I tried to look online, but just could not find, like, a pronunciation guide or anything like that.
1: Hmm. And I think we will, we will go on to why, because there was a thing about Meng Zheng that absolutely blew my mind, but we'll we'll talk about that later.
0: Ooh, interesting. Anyway, speaking of intrigue, uh, our protagonists are captured by the Ten Rings, and when Wu reveals that he needs his children's pendants to open the path to Tarlow, believes their mother is being held captive still alive he then imprisons them along with actor Trevor Slattery played by Ben Kingsley and I don't know about you I legitimately almost cheered when he showed up yes who previously impersonated Wenwu as the Mandarin in the best Iron Man film Don't At Me (laughs) the quartet and Trevor's pet monster Morris Escape and make their way to Tarlow. There, Shang-Chi meets his, aunt, yeah, meets his aunt, Ying Nan, played by Michelle Yeo. She explains that their village guards the prison of the evil deity, the Dweller in Darkness. The Dweller has been manipulating Wen Wu through the rings, and if he is freed, will destroy the world. Uh, the gang defend the village from the Ten Rings, and Shang-Chi is able to defeat Wen Wu but not before he weakens the gate enough to free the dweller. Realizing his mistake, Wenwu gives the rings to Shang-Chi before he is killed. Shang and Zhao Ling are able to summon the Great Protector, the village's guardian dragon, and working together, destroy the dweller in darkness. Uh, In post-credit scenes, Shang and Katie learn from Wong, Bruce Banner, and Captain Marvel, led by Benedict Wong, uh, Mark Ruffalo, and Brie Larson, as they have been in the MCU. Uh, they learn that the Ten Rings seem to be signalling something in space, and Jarling takes over as the new leader of the Ten Rings.
1: So, can we just talk for a bit about what our expectations were of this going in?
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, I think for me, one of the main things it was kind of maybe the mcu film i've been the, the least excited for like not yeah I... anything against it just because i don't know shang chi that well as a character and it's just kind of very much uh right it's marvel o'clock i guess
1: and the trailers weren't a wow were they they weren't great trailers i felt
0: yeah yeah i don't think there was ever anything in them that was like a a killer moment
1: They were very, very heavy on the bit in the final act where Tony Long shoots, like, bluish CGI at Simu Liu's orangey CGI. And I I must admit, I was starting to think after the year without blockbusters that we had last year and after being kind of nonplussed by Black Widow, I thought, maybe I've just lost my appetite for this kind of thing. So... That was it going in i wasn't i wasn't expecting much and maybe if a friend hadn't wanted to see it i would have skipped over it
0: oh yeah i think especially like you say with the cgi thing it's that very marvel thing specifically of oh good the good guy is going to fight the bad guy who is exactly the same as the bad guy but has a slightly different exactly the same as the good guy but has a slightly different color scheme
1: it's it's very Instagrammy filmmaking, isn't it? It's all about sort of what palette you've chosen that dictates what side you're on.
0: Yeah, it's it's very Black Panther with purple highlights versus Black Panther with gold highlights.
1: <laughs>
0: yes, it
1: is. Uh, and and when it started, I thought, you know, it's it's going to be like that because. The, the opening flashback is kind of odd. I think the opening flashback in general is kind of a, a weirdly persistent part of, uh, of Marvel films that they could stand to break a bit more often. I mean, the main fun I had with the opening flashback in Black Widow is realising that they'd saved money on fancy de-aging CGI just by casting Rachel Weisz. Um,
0: yeah, I don't know why they don't cast her in everything... Like she, she just stays the same age eternally. Exactly.
1: Yes. You could cast her in boyhood and no one would believe it took fourteen years to film.
0: Yeah. And I mean, especially with that kind of big franchise like, like this, it's you know, you need to cast someone you can rely on for several years. Mm. Rachel Vice, you can build a thousand-year
1: franchise on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> So the thing with the opening flashback in this particular film is that it it took me a while to settle in, and I'm hinting here that I did settle into it eventually, to the idea of mixing Woosha and superhero action. Because in in Woosha, the appeal of it, and I'm not a huge fan of it, but I understand it as spectacle, the appeal of it is no matter how insane this all looks, they did it for real. Whereas the appeal of superhero movies is that they're doing things that no one can do for real.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see where they don't necessarily make happy bedfellows.
1: Mm. And I thought it was going to be the first Marvel genre mix that I really didn't get on with. I generally enjoy those movies like the Ant-Man movies or like Winter Soldier where they seem to be consciously thinking, what would a heist movie or a spy movie look like if it had superheroes? But this, I thought this wasn't working. And then it clicks when it gets to San Francisco and Simu Lu and Aquafina enter. And there is just a ton of charm hitting the screen as soon as that happens, isn't there?
0: Yeah, I mean... I'll admit, I, I did have some problems with this film. I feel like half of that is... I kind of wanted to immediately left turn away from whatever mystical martial arts. Yeah, that's fine. I just want, like, a delightful coming-of-age comedy about these two characters.
1: Completely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's strange because I'm not that huge a fan of Awkwardness comedy, um, but I think she gives good, bewildered every woman, which is essentially what she's called on to do in this.
0: Yeah, especially when she's like having to drive the bus as Shang-Chi is fighting. Also, yes, I can't just mention great. the fact that we have an actual live-action appearance by a comics character called Razor Fist. Whose superpower <laughs> is slightly yes less useful than just owning a sword. Because if you own a sword, you could have a sword and a hand.
1: Yes, Razor Fist is one of those comic book character names that you would think would only like be put into a film as a punchline in a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Like it's not, it's not massively better than Taserface in my opinion.
0: It really isn't. (laughs) I
1: mean, I'm glad that they've
0: toned him down slightly from the comics version. Who has both his hands replaced with giant knives
1: oh for goodness sake his superpower is not having opposable thumbs no better than a cat with a knife
0: possibly much worse (laughs) but (sighs) now i really want the version of shang chi where it's just completely normal because Razorfist can't get on the bus because he can't get any change out of his wallet with his big knife hands.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, poor Razorfist. Although, you know, uh again, just a, a big jolt of fun when whenever he comes on. I was slightly worried that being uh, sort of Wuja derived meant this was going to be a bit more serious and mythic um, than the Marvel norm. And then suddenly you have this character who would be considered a bit silly if he was auditioning to be a, a Bond villain's henchman.
0: I mean, I feel like up until about a week ago, I would have agreed with you. But I have just watched No Time to Die. And the phrase, Blofeld's Bionic Eye Unlocked, is still very fresh in my mind.
1: <laughs> yes, fair enough.
0: But yeah, basically... I don't love Ray's face because he's just so very comic booky.
1: Absolutely, yes, yeah. But there's, there's something... Interesting about the characters of Sean, as he is at this point, and Katie, that I think a lot of people skip over, but I found interesting is so, that at a certain point in a superhero origin story, you kind of expect the hero's ostensible flaws to be corrected by ideally by their superpowers or by the adventure they go on. And I suppose, I mean, Shang-Chi and Katie put the effort in. You know, they, they do save the world, but the fact that they are essentially just a pair of slackers muddling through in like their aunt's apartment in San Francisco is not seen as a character flaw. It's just kind of who they are. And I found that really charming and refreshing.
0: Yeah, if, if anything, like I feel like what kind of spins it around that it's like their friends were telling them, no, you need to like get a hold of yourselves and book your ideas. Basically, the human equivalent of by the age of 35, you should have that X amount in your bank account.
1: Yes, yeah. And
0: yeah, the ending is kind of basically flipping it on them where like shang and katie it still seems like they're just still working as valets but then also sometimes go hang out with dr strange's friends
1: yes yeah very happy that wong seems to be the nick fury of this era of marvel by the way i think that's a very good way to use him
0: yeah it is although it's it's weird that marvel have looked into my brain and know about my conspiracy of benedict wong just appearing in everything
1: <laughs> i want to see him play one of these films in his character from armando yanucci's david copperfield the uh drunken yorkshire accountant that he played in that yes just, just to see if anyone notices really actually
0: he does basically play that same character in what we do in the shadows the tv show but it's that character but he was also a necromancer
1: yes (laughs) i think benedict wong is just one of those guys like simon pegg where it it remains absolutely incredible to see him in these massive american films and think i remember you when you were in bbc3 sitcoms
0: yeah like i'm pretty sure was he in one with like johnny vegas
1: uh, I don't know if he was... Um, the, the one I was thinking of was... Uh, was it 15 Stories High with the late Sean Locke?
0: Yeah, I know it was in that. I'm sure it was in another one. It? But yeah, like just weird, random sitcom actors.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And now he's massive multi-million dollars.
1: It's, it's hard not to feel a certain swell of pride when you see someone do that, unless it's Ricky Gervais, in which case it's very, very easy not to feel a swell of pride. Yeah,
0: suddenly feel a sudden swell of something.
1: <laughs> Ricky Gervais, the brief pride and lasting shame of British comedy.
0: Yeah. I, mean, really, I don't think we ever stopped being ashamed of Ricky Gervais, did we? He just got... Eclipse by James Gordon.
1: (laughs) No, yes. It turned out there was a greater menace. I'm going to do the second Doctor Who reference of the week. It's like when they're trapped by weeping angels and they all get wiped out by a crack in time that destroys the universe. You think, well, glad to be rid of the first one, but the second one is, is a bit of a worry.
0: Yeah, and then the crack in time... Like, sits in a car with Ed Sheeran and plays god-awful acoustic music.
1: See, I don't know if you're bringing it round to uh, a James Corden reference or whether that's literally what happened in that season finale, because I still do not understand the plot of the Big Bang.
0: I I honestly can't say for sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, how about that Shang-Chi? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it?
1: <laughs> you you go through uh, this journey after the bus fight with Razor Fist. Yeah,
0: which I do find is a very good bus fight as well.
1: It's superb, isn't it? There yeah. was a lot of praise given to the bus fight in Nobody, uh, but this I think is even more fun.
0: Yeah, especially because I think the Marvel films have suffered from some pretty, actually, badly choreographed action in the past. Yes, Like, it's very much just, look at the pretty explosions, don't think too hard about the editing.
1: Yeah, it feels like they could never get a fight style for Black Widow that made much sense, I guess, largely because up until her solo film, she'd generally been fighting male enemies and they didn't, want the sort of baggage of a intergender beating on their hands but um yeah i i never thought the fight choreography in a lot of marvel was interesting but doing an actual martial arts movie okay, that's the point where i saw the appeal of making a martial arts superhero movie because you ask yourself well you, you know what's the thrill of this and the thrill of this is you're seeing what would happen in a standard martial arts movie, only at twice the speed. And this time, if someone misses a punch, it, like, takes out half of San Francisco. So that's fun, I think.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, it's very fun watching this, if it's just, like, tear a bus apart as Shang-Chi's, like, scrambling through it.
1: Absolutely, yes. And while Awkwafin is struggling to park it...
0: I did, like, a little, like, when she's slamming up against the garbage truck guy, and just, like, gives him a thumbs up.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this is part of the take they have on Shang-Chi, uh, seems to be, and I suppose this goes back to my point about him being a sort of happy underachiever, but it's that kind of idea of Clark Kent being Superman's alter ego rather than the other way around. It is that he is very, very happy to live this sort of quiet, banal, muddling-through kind of life because his heritage, his birthright, you know, his father in particular, has taught him what will happen if he starts, I don't know, beating up a big one-armed Romanian with a sword on the end of his missing arm on a public bus.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's that age-old lesson, isn't it? Starts with beating up a one-armed Romanian on a bus. But that's just a gateway fight. And before you know (laughs) it, you're stuck firing giant CGI lasers at, like, Cave Cthulhu.
1: Yes! (laughs) So there's a few action scenes that happen after this, all of which are good. I cannot quite remember which order they come in, which I think points to a slight problem. But, eh, what are you going to do?
0: Yeah, I would definitely say... it. Like the bus fight is kind of the peak of the action, which is a mm. bit of a problem because it happens like a third of the way into the film.
1: I mean, I think stuff like the um the Underground Fight Club and the bit with the bamboo scaffolding is good, but I've just had I've like had to talk myself through it to realise that they happened in that order.
0: Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have that same I guess kind of energy as the bus fight. Like, it's just kind of, oh yeah, this is to... another quite good one.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have the sort of, um you You could look at the bus fight out of context and say, all oh, right, this is where he discovers, or uh, in this case, reveals his powers, because it's kind of inherent in the choreography. And that doesn't really happen afterwards, but that's okay. That doesn't happen as as successfully in a lot of superhero movies, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, i just think yeah, it is yes because of that because that fight does a good job of like mixing story and action much like i mm. think the fight between Wu and uh what's the name yeah yingli at the start yeah yeah like just the idea of that very like kind of quite flirtatious fighting
1: yes yeah
0: And am mixing this whole like he's got a very aggressive I've got my rings, I'm going to explode everything style. And she's got this very kind of Tai Chi inspired. Now I'm just going to take your punch. Just going to waft it aside.
1: It's just struck me that uh, this is, to quote Bob's Burgers, sexy dance fighting, isn't it?
0: It's very much sexy dance fighting. (laughs) Yes. Which, oh no. I'm not sure how I feel about that now, given that like the big climax of the film is shang chi harnessing the power of sexy dance fighting to defeat his father
1: <laughs> yes all edifice edifice unhappy edifice yes it's um, yeah it's a bit odd but this the, the underground fight club is is a fun scene i think and has uh, some fun cameos in it but it's also where we meet his sister, is it not?
0: Yes, that's right. Because she is the one like running the fight club.
1: Hmm. And this is my amazing fact about Meng Because do you know what her previous uh, film credit was?
0: I do not know. Nothing. Oh, so this is like her first film.
1: This is her first movie. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, I mean, star big, I guess. I know, right? And she's extraordinary in it. I mean, she is one of the best things in it, I think. And when normally when we talk about someone who sort of comes out of nowhere to be in a Marvel film, we're talking about someone who's done a string of well-received indies before this. But no, she literally did come out of nowhere. She had no previous film credits.
0: Like... As you did TV stuff, at least.
1: I think there's... A, I, I look this up on Wikipedia, and some of it is quite sort of hard to pass because, as with a lot of Wikipedia articles about celebrities from Asia, a lot of it seems to have been written by someone for whom English is like a second or third language. I think there is some TV, but mostly it's theatre, which I did not picture Disney's casting agents really getting as far as like Cantonese or Mandarin language stage productions but
0: yeah no well I just assumed she was like some fairly high profile Chinese film actress
1: I know yeah
0: well that's uh, that, that's right yeah that was incredible, yes.
1: And, you know, now she's famous enough to be sat alongside Simu Liu and Awkwafina in those slightly annoying adverts for 40X that you get in front of a film when you go to Cineworld.
0: And really, if that's not the dream, what is? <laughs> but yeah, so, no, yeah she's... she's... I think my, my only thing with her mm. and I think it's maybe a bit of a problem in the film in general is I think there's quite a bit of stuff that kind of distracts from Shang Chi himself. Like I do feel like in a lot of the scenes he kind of plays second fiddle either to Xia Ling or to Wen Wu.
1: Yeah, I, I can I can sort of see that. And I'm I mean it's hard when you're in a scene with Tony Long, isn't it? Who I mean he is pretty extraordinary.
0: Yeah, I mean, it almost—it feels unfair to cast him. To be honest,
1: it—I uh, it, mean, there's loads of things I've seen Tony Long, in. I'm a huge One Car Wife fan, so you know that's that's a huge part of his association for me. But I will always think back to the aftermath of Ang Lee's Lust, Caution, where the Chinese government obviously wanted to kick somebody's ass for that. Uh, and they settled on Tang Wai, uh, largely because I think someone must have sat down and said, if we blacklist Tony Leung, how many films have we got coming out next year? Oh, none.
0: Yes, he's basically the entire Chinese film industry.
1: <laughs> he is. He's unbelievably prolific.
0: But yeah, it just, it feels a bit unfair to simply you. They have Tony Lung, Ben Kingsley and Michelle Yeoh all in the same film as him. And still go, Man, no, But I this know. guy is the main character.
1: Yeah. And you know, it it's to his credit that Simu Lu, someone who I had not knowingly seen in anything before, I think basically holds his own here. You know, I think he gives a good solid performance.
0: Yeah, I'd say that like I not sure there's any like huge standout moments, but yeah, he's good. I'd i happily watch more films with him in.
1: Yeah. Because uh, we've we've mentioned Ben Kingsley. We have to talk about Ben Kingsley because in, in the absence of an Iron Man 3 episode, this is the nearest I'll get to dusting off my old soapbox.
0: Yes, we do, and talk about how Iron Man 3 is actually the best Iron Man film.
1: Absolutely, by a mile, yes. And I was pleased to see that after all of the ominous hints we were getting about Marvel retconning it, we finally have justice for Trevor Slattery.
0: Yes, finally justice for the real Mandarin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things, isn't it, where I was kind of philosophically opposed to this happening because... I don't know. I mean, you you can certainly make the argument that changing the Mandarin's origins in Iron Man 3 deprives an Asian actor of a role. But in the context of Iron Man 3, it deprives an Asian actor of a role as an evil Chinese wizard who gets his ass kicked by an all-American superhero. So, in, in representation terms, is it the biggest loss?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with the mandarin is i mean i guess bringing it around here's another one of those characters very heavily inspired by fu manchu yeah of just uh he's got the long droopy beard and he's very ah ha, ha iron man i'm gonna destroy you and your wicked capitalist western ways
1: yes and I, I i definitely understand the backlash to this and the backlash to the the ancient one being cast as tilda swinton but I am not fully convinced you can, like, make these characters detoxified without just breaking them and rebuilding them, which is essentially what they do with Tony Lung's take on the character.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's like they say, the Mandarin is basically the name of a chicken dish. Yes! Like, <laughs> I, I have said many times that I'm all in favour of, like, embracing... The more comic booky aspects of these things. Not that one though.
1: Yeah, this is interesting. This is one of those instances where the instinct to go back and ground things and make a real world version of a comic book character, which has led, you know, since Christopher Nolan made his first Batman movie, it has led so many filmmakers to abject disaster. Uh, has actually basically paid off here, I think.
0: Yeah, it's almost like it's better to think about the ramifications of these things rather than just blindly go, oh, this is a good film and a trope I like. That's like everything like this now. All our superheroes yes. have to be serious.
1: <laughs> it's
0: only a good it's film not- if people frown all the time.
1: Yes, I want really grey colour correction, and I want it now. That's what
0: people want in their Superman film.
1: My God, who's ever gone to the movie because a movie appeared to be colourful and fun? That wasn't what the golden age of Hollywood was about. All of those cripplingly depressing Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers musicals that did so much to remind us that the Great Depression is inescapable.
0: I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. There's that film singing in the rain. Superman stands about in the rain a lot. It's like the 50s <laughs> never left.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very strange mode of thinking in general. It reminds me of when Gladiator came out and everyone rushed to put in, like gritty realist versions of king arthur or some cobblers like that and then literally the next year lord of the rings came out and it turned out that actually people do like the fun bits of sword and sandal movies whoops sorry merlin god i
0: why are hollywood producers the people whose job it is to make films so bad at it
1: You'd think after a while you'd develop some sort of expertise, and yet.
0: And yet.
1: So once they've picked up Trevor, who is an absolute tonic here, you know, he's always been a big favourite MCU character of mine. As you said, you know, when... I saw him. I think the last time a Marvel movie has given me a genuine, like, an urge to cheer through not expecting a character to be there was when Korg turned up in Avengers Endgame. Um, But he's fantastic. And they go on this trip to what, for me, was the most interesting part of the film, this place they end up at.
0: Yeah, I I like the village of Talo, especially the fact that they've just got lots of like actual Chinese mythological features. running really about like you see like, phoenixes and guardian lions. I think mm-hmm. Boris himself has something called a a hundun. I think it's called.
1: Yes, I was uh, delighted to find out this is a real Chinese folklore character, although, to be honest, it would just be as every bit as good if they tried to work out what an amusing ball of fluff that Ben Kingsley can talk to would be.
0: Yeah, I think it was, like, stipulated in his contract.
1: <laughs> I'm coming back if you give me a weird Chinese folklore doggo. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So I don't think he's the only one who can talk to it, and they never explain why.
1: Absolutely, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, the village is interesting to me because it, it is another example after Wakanda and New Asgard of Marvel actually making a pretty good fist of a story about something that conventional wisdom tells you does not make a good story, which is a utopia, essentially.
0: Yeah, just a, a nice place. Although it did strike me, for the choice of words, that Tarlow is very much just like Kung Lao from the Iron Fist comics. And I think this is very much them saying, let's, let's maybe forget about Iron Fist. <laughs> After no one's favourite TV show. And just very much, uh, let's transplant our other martial arts hero into that.
1: Perhaps, yes, yeah, there's, there is a bit of that. Just like the Eternals is very much, well, no, we've we've never heard of these Inhumans that you keep talking about.
0: Yes, the Internals, they're, they're certainly not humans, is that what you mean? yes god I can't wait till I google Inhumans and just just, just, did you mean Eternals
1: (laughs) Inhumans already feels like one of those things where you know you would show a younger Marvel fan it and they would not believe that that used to be what Marvel is like except what it's only about five years old And it already feels like it's, you know, the David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury movie.
0: I know. To be fair, if you just saw a clip of that show out of context, you would think, oh, so yes, this was made in the early 2000s.
1: (laughs) You would, yes. (laughs) And they showed the first episode in IMAX. It's like a special floor magnifying technology.
0: God, just Medusa's horrible CGI hair, like, the size of a building.
1: I've always thought of IMAX as essentially a technology that allows you to hear the dialogue in a movie scored by Hans Zimmer, but I may have to expand the definition. I think IMAX should be used for every Hollywood test screening. I think you should just sit directors there and look at it on that size screen and ask them... Is that what you wanted it to look like?
0: Yeah, that might fix a lot of problems. Mm. Which, speaking of those, I, I did feel like the final fight in this was kind of a bit too much of a CGI slog.
1: Yes, I agree. It's very strange that Marvel, which is normally like a step or two ahead of knowing what the tropes people are getting sick of in its movies are. that But there is still someone high up in that organisation that thinks, best way to end any film, I think, is uh, the heroes fighting a bunch of indistinguishable CGI monsters who just keep coming at them. I mean, what else are you going to do in Act 3?
0: Yeah, but what if, as well, we had them do another like martial arts fight but instead of an interesting scenario like on a bus or in some scaffolding it's just a big field (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) it's like what would happen if a massive cgi dragon fight broke out at glastonbury really isn't it
0: it is which i mean i'm pretty sure most people at glastonbury are convinced is happening already
1: quite possibly yeah i couldn't make the place any more of a state
0: yeah oh oh no andrew said something about soul sucking monsters cold player playing on the main stage you can <laughs> put the pieces together
1: yes <laughs> but the the thing that i think frustrated me other than as i say noticing that marvel have still not got past this sort of reliance on armies of monsters as like the only way to end a film is that the humor of it kind of goes out at this point ben kingsley gets a couple of gags in it but aquafina is like very much at the the stirring end of her hero's journey in this fight. And Simu Lu, who I think is very funny in the earlier stages and whose background, I think, is in uh, television comedy mostly, is entirely serious. And I thought, this is... Kind of a test case, isn't it, for what the Marvel sense of humour actually adds to a film? Because people will moan about how quippy Marvel films are. But if that massive dragon coming out of the lake was backed by just any kind of a gag, even the most basic, well that happened, kind of pasted in gag, it would at least tell you that the filmmakers expected you to be knocked sideways by that rather than it just being, Oh, you've you've pulled that out of nowhere, haven't you? There's a big dragon in this movie now, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that hits the nail on the head of just how weird the dragon feels.
1: It's very arbitrary, and I think, like I say, you need to lampshade it a bit.
0: Yeah, because I think even just the explanation is just Michelle, you Oh yeah, that's that's a dragon we've got. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> you see, that's a better joke. Even just explaining it on that line. Oh yeah, that's our pet dragon. Yeah, um, we feed him pigs. Uh, yeah, already improved it. I think. Why aren't we script doctors?
0: No. Although, wait. I suppose when we would say that the dragon feels weird and pointless. It is there for the very important reason of introducing new arbitrary stakes because if the villain does the thing before we can do the thing it's bad so we've got to stop it doing the thing yeah because everyone knows if your giant vampire monster eats the soul of a dragon then it can do bad things even worse <laughs>
1: yes, <it's... laughs> i mean simply the whole point of introducing a giant monster into the film is that the stakes are fairly clear. Like, I'm not a Godzilla expert, but I would be surprised if there was one where Godzilla's goal was to become radioactive, because he already is.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are films where I think that has technically happened to Godzilla, but not We're as like a major are. plot point.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, fair point. I, I'm not a kaiju expert.
0: But I'm pretty sure that happened in like one of the big American ones.
1: Well, the 2014 one had this maddening bit where they store radioactivity-eating monsters in a nuclear waste dump. Which was, I mean, my patience was wearing thin by then, but I did just think at that point, you deserve to get flattened
0: we really do that's, that's the main flaw of those films is they expect me to root for the humans
1: <laughs> i kind of like period kaiju movies sometimes because because it's not like coven society you can just put them in this really awful feudal society and just explicitly say yeah this place deserves to get smashed up
0: god we suck as a species don't we
1: yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of a disappointing third act all around, I think, but overall, I think up till then, this did a surprising amount to reignite my desire uh, to watch more MCU films.
0: Yeah, definitely. Also, like, a... I don't even know if I'd call it a smaller point, but something I quite liked about Shang-Chi's backstory... Is that he Hmm. did actually, like, kill the guy who killed his mother. Because I feel like, kind of, previous Marvel films would have maybe whitewashed it a bit. Like, kind of, one, say, oh, no, we don't want to make our, kind of, protagonist too not squeaky
1: clean. That's a fair point. Yes. Yeah.
0: And I do, I just, it kind of makes it feel like him, kind of, trying to abandon that whole life does feel a bit more earned.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think that's a good point. I must admit I have some concerns about the sequel because I feel like maybe this will change once some of these films actually come out, but there were loads of films in Phase 3, like Doctor Strange and Black Panther, which built really interesting worlds, and made me think, oh wow, I'm really interested in see, sort of exploring those worlds further, and seeing what those characters do now they've been through their first adventure, and then the sequel gets announced, and it's like, oh this time they have to referee a fight between Namor the Submariner and Paste Pot Pete, and it's like you don't have to cross any everything over just let us let let us enjoy doctor strange facing off against and model without it having to be about everything else in the world
0: yeah i mean certainly that's what i'm hoping like especially with black widow and shang chi both feeling more self-contained yeah. is that we are maybe going to get sort of a splitting off a bit of the film's and mm. just kind of letting them have their own storylines. Because
1: I think, I mean, I don't imagine it'll hold forever, but there are currently no plans for another Avengers movie, right?
0: Yeah, I don't think there's anything like firmly in the... Well, or at least nothing that they've announced at the moment.
1: Which I think is sensible. I mean, in pure scale and payoff terms, you cannot top end game, So... Why try? Why not, just as you say, give us time to enjoy these heroes in their own separate worlds?
0: Yes, like, I know probably there's going to be some kind of big thing with Kang the Conqueror at some point down the line. But yeah, I think Mm. it's definitely an advantage not to immediately, as soon as Thanos is gone, go. And here's the next big baddie, and he's going to be even bigger and even baddier.
1: He is Thanos's brother, Steve.
0: Um, Actually, I think of brother brother's called Eros, and his name is (laughs) Starfox.
1: I'm not going to lie, that was bait.
0: Good. (laughs) I'll always eat that delicious, delicious bait. (laughs) But yeah. So yeah,
1: I mean, flawed, but overall positive, would we say?
0: Yes, I think that's a fair assessment and made me very hopeful for a sequel, because as I mentioned in the synopsis, there's that thing about the Ten Rings kind of sending a signal into space, mm-hmm. which I do hope means they're bringing in their kind of origin for the comics, which that the Ten Rings were made by made for the Mandarin by an alien species called the Makluans, who are space dragons.
1: Oh, wow. Yep, fine. Uh, They can stuff as many other superheroes into this as they want, as long as it's got space dragons, I will probably watch that.
0: Yes, specifically a space dragon called Fin Fang Foom.
1: Oh, Fin Fang Foom, yes. Yes. Who I am basically aware of through Next Wave.
0: Yes, through that one image of him putting you in his pants.
1: The definitive characterisation of Fin Fang Foom, in my opinion.
0: Which, hey, you said the next film's going to stuff more superheroes in. (laughs)
1: yes so shall we shall we rank this
0: indeed we shall so uh, this is going to go on our list of films from 1 to 25 with uh, history of violence at number 1 and of course as we Lamented earlier, Howard the Duck at 25.
1: Was looking forward to a Peking Duck cameo in this, but alas, they they can only cross over so much.
0: I mean, that's true, Howard is the master of quack-fu.
1: Yeah, eventually every student must face off against the master.
0: Maybe that's what they're saving for the sequel. (laughs) Yeah. To be fair, I feel like this version of Shang-Chi would like, ha- actually have quite a lot of fun with Howard the Duck.
1: Well, I think the version of Howard the Duck they've got in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at the moment has more promise than the <laughs> waddling sex pest that they created for the earlier oh, movie. Oh, yeah, no,
0: no, no, I certainly did not mean <laughs> the original movie, Howard the Duck. <laughs> that walking, talking torture box. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think the main thing I remember from that movie is that occasionally you just see the actor's eyes under the rubber mask, and they are pleading, "Save me!"
0: Yeah, either save me or finish it, please. For the <laughs> god. Anyway, moving to much higher in the list. um I'm yes. looking at it. And we've got a pretty good run here. At number eight, we've got Men in Black. Number nine, we've got Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One, and number ten, we've got Birds of Prey. And I feel like Shang Chi probably fits in somewhere around there. What's uh, what's the next one below Birds of Prey? Uh, actually, yeah, that's that's getting us back to the MCU. That is the first Iron Man.
1: Oh right, okay, yeah, I'm. I'm pleased that you, like me, have slight misgivings about the first Iron Man. Um, even though it, you know, it, it works, obviously it works, but it's not the the gold standard by any means. Um, yeah, well, I, I think the main is...
0: thing with the first Iron Man is, is just, it's very much been the MCU blueprint now. And so going back yeah. to it feels very much, yep, this is one standard u- unit of superhero film.
1: That's the thing they do, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the question for me really is, is this better or worse than Birds of Prey? Um, I don't know. I think it's more consistent, but when Birds of Prey is good, it's really doing some sort of swing for the fences, bananas, stuff that I really appreciated them trying for. So maybe between Birds of Prey and Iron Man... Yeah,
0: I I can go for that because, I mean, I think good as the choreography in Shang-Chi is, it's, it's not up there with something like that fight in the fairground. Or mm. Harley Quinn just, like, making her way through the Gotham City Police Department.
1: And the other thing that Birds of Prey has over this is that Shang-Chi contains not one song by Megan The Stallion, which I think is a terrible oversight.
0: That's weirdly in my day-to-day life people pre- keep bringing up Megan Thee Stallion and I don't know who she is <laughs> I've got it about as far as she's not an actual horse and that's it <laughs> is, is she an Ariana Grande? Is this, is this what the young people do now?
1: Uh, I would say her music is subtly different to Ariana Grande. I would say if you have, uh, you know, if you're not sure whether you'd like Megan The Stallion, why not try playing her records at full volume to your grandmother, who I think would would really dig it. That would be my advice. Or Google the lyrics on your work computer. That's also a good idea.
0: Is she the one who sings that WAP song, which is not just a fun sound effect? I found out.
1: She she is one of the people on WAP. Yes, it's her and Cardi B.
0: Oh, I, I do know Cardigan Beef.
1: Cardigan Beef, yes, the human sound effects board.
0: Okay, yes. In that case, then, uh, Shang Chi is our new number eleven. Nice. Excellent stuff. And I think with that, uh, that about brings us to the end of the episode. Yep. Yeah. So that's about it from us. If you want to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at BeholdPod. And Graham, where can people find you if they want to?
1: Oh, tons of places. Um, I am a critic for thegeekshow.co.uk. I write for the British Horror website horrified.com. I'm also making films and we have a screening of uh, one of my short films at Middlesbrough Institute of Modern Art. Uh, But if you can't get up there and you just want to be bored relentlessly every single day by me, I am on Letterboxd under Graham Williamson.
0: Excellent stuff. And uh, finally, if you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or just recommended this to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow the show and reach new listeners. So that's everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew.
1: And I've been Graham.
0: So long and thanks for listening.